Thirty. American Heritage with your host, Ed Bondarenka. Our goal is to provide a platform for a discussion of pro-life, pro-Christian, and pro-American constitutional principles in the light of current and historical events. America, bless God. Good afternoon. Welcome to your American Heritage, where we talk about the two things you're not supposed to talk about in polite society, religion, and politics. My name is Ed Bonarenka, and I'm not your normal fluffy insurrectionist. And my pronouns are, hey, you. The show is produced by Derek Stone, the Swiss Army Knife of Radio. Derek is also the host of Stone Cold Sports, Sundays at noon 30. Right after my friend Sean Todd, the Rock and Rev on the intersection at noon, it's not your normal fluffy Christian show. It's day 234 of the coup. My, how time flies. To take over the United States government by forces opposed to the values of the founders of the nation, by those who seek to dominate you and enrich themselves. In my wildest dreams, I never thought I'd be saying those things on the radio a year ago. I really did not to think that I'd be that person. So let's open in prayer. Father, please lead us and guide America today and in the days to come. Please give us the wisdom we need as we fight the destruction of our nation. Please help us retake the reins of government from these traitors and criminals. Please reveal the intent of their hearts to the American people and please move mightily. Either bring them to a place of repentance or remove them from power. Please help the American people to turn to you for support and strength. It's the power of your spirit, your spirit, that can strengthen and empower us regardless of denomination or religious affiliation. It is your principles that our form of government was founded on. So please help us return to those principles. Amen. Now, Tuesday night, I have a Bible study in my home and we were discussing uh, this particular verse and I'd like to read it to you. This is out of the book of Judges, chapter three, verses one through four. Now these are the days, I'm sorry. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. That is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, the five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in the Mount Lebanon and Mount Baal Hermon to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their forefathers by the hand of Moses. I found a life application here. We find ourselves beset by enemies, foreign and domestic, and there's a learning curve in dealing with them. We must look for judges to rise up to lead us to war, on our knees before God and our feet before demonic forces that seek to destroy us. We're gonna talk about some enemies today. I wanna say this first. The views and opinions of Ed Bondarenka are not necessarily those of his guests 
Well, thanks for joining us. I have two guests on deck this afternoon. Today, well, actually three if you count Rick, but uh, you know how that goes. Today is, of course, the 20th anniversary of the 911 attack on America by Islamic forces, aided by the Taliban. And we'll be talking about that with historian, educator, and retired Marine Lieutenant Colonel Howard Benjamin, who blogs as Mustang at Fixed Bayonets, which is fixedbayonetsusmc.blog, and Old West Tales at uh, www.thoughtsfromafar.blog. I, uh, I highly recommend these, they're good reading, and uh, I, I enjoy the, the Old West tales. So, but first, something has happened this week that I want to discuss briefly with our friend Dave Coleman. Now, you must remember Dave Coleman. he's a frequent guest on the show. He's a principal in Coleman Legal Group, also a co-founder of Great Lakes Justice Center and, and Salt Lake Global. And visit greatlakesjc.org or slgwitness.com. You might have to put a www in front of each of those. So uh, we as people are being beset by an oppressive regime that pretends that there pretends that there is a deadly threat to the health of the American people to justify their theft of an election, to protect and justify their unconstitutional abridgment of our freedoms and their power grab. Now the Biden regime is attempting to force businesses to insist on their employees to take the messenger RNA reprogramming of their body with no mention of exemptions. Not a direct federal mandate, but one through OSHA under a stretch of regulations that should never stand. Dave, when last we talked, you were in the office working on a case that you said would be very important, and I had asked you to come back and talk about it. And I heard you on the Steve Gruber show, just carried on this station and many others, and uh, you briefly talked about it, and I want you to tell us what happened with the Western Michigan University case. Yeah, thanks, Ed. It's good to be back with you. Um, we are representing 16 athletes at Western Michigan University <clears throat> uh, who had put in place a vaccine mandate for all their athletes at the university. Not all the students at the university, just the athletes were being required or mandated to take the vaccine. And if they didn't do it by August 31st, then they were going to be kicked off their teams. Now, they also said, well, we're going to offer religious exemptions and medical exemptions to this policy. So all 16 athletes uh, that we represent, and I've heard there have been some others, turned in religious exemption requests and 100% of them got denied. So Western Michigan on the one hand said, well, we're going to offer you this exemption. And then they denied every single one. And so when the athletes came to us about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, um, we agreed to take on their case. We filed immediately a federal court in Western District Court in Kalamazoo and uh, drew Judge Maloney. He issued a temporary restraining order on August 31st that allowed the students to continue to remain on their teams, compete and, you know, be involved with their teammates as long as uh, the injunction was in place. Then that temporary restraining order was heard last Thursday afternoon, where it was with our request to turn it into a preliminary injunction, which would continue while the case is pending. Judge Maloney heard arguments from the Western Michigan attorneys, from us, and agreed that he was uh, ruling in our favor and continued the injunction. And so now all the athletes at, at Western Michigan, who are at least who are part of our lawsuit, are allowed to continue to play. And we have a lot of different athletes from the women's basketball team to women's soccer, 
to a baseball player, football player, the dance team, track, cross country, a lot of different athletes at Western Michigan. So we were very pleased with uh, the judge's decision. And we feel that this is a case that could have import now, especially with what's happening with the president's new edicts that will lay a, gr a groundwork, a framework for people to follow around the country to file suit and to stop these vaccine mandates that now the government is trying to impose on private businesses. So it's big win, big win. What's the read across for this? Now, you mentioned that this just affects the students in the lawsuit. So this does not affect anybody else in that district like a ruling would, then I take it. No, but the principles are the same. And so assuming that some other government entity or institution or even a private business now being directed by the government to do the same thing, if they don't offer and actually give religious exemptions and medical exemptions, then I would expect the courts to the judges to rule the same that uh, that that's not constitutional. They can't impose edicts like that. You know, Ed, there's a huge difference between, hey, you got to wear a mask or you got to social distance or, or things like that, as opposed to you will take this medical treatment and allow this substance to be injected into your body and you don't have a choice and the government's going to make you do it. That is a huge line to cross, which is a line that we should not cross. You know, we always hear the left proclaiming for decades now, my body, my choice, my body, my choice. Well, I don't know if you saw in the Babylon Bee, they, yeah. they had this real <laughs> great headline. It was, your body, my choice. And I thought, yeah. yeah, that's the left's mantra now. It's your body, but it's my choice to tell you what to do. Um, we have to push back. We have to fight back and not comply with these edicts. This is outrageous. It's unconstitutional. People need to fight back. So... First, we had a temporary injunction, then a preliminary injunction. So is there a court date set? No, at this point now, it, it will be set for a trial at some point, probably out into next year. And the injunction mm. stays in place, though, the whole time that until the trial is held. And then we would be asking for a permanent injunction. Now, Western Michigan can appeal if they decide they want to appeal. It could go to the Sixth Circuit down in Cincinnati and we'll see what they choose to do. They could settle with us and just agree that, okay, we're gonna grant these exemptions. No, 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 there. But I don't know. I mean, they haven't not, so far. So it's a, it, kind of the ball is in their court at this point. Give me hope. I don't want them to settle. I want a court case that rules it. No, you can't do that. Give me hope. What do we have? Well, we have a court decision saying, no, you can't do that. So if they were to settle at this point, it would be, in a final court order that says no you can't do it that's what well, i mean just them though but but yeah. just them it wouldn't, it yeah. wouldn't apply to u of m I mean, or sure but remember u of m and this is one of our arguments in this case u of m msu all the other universities in the state have been they have vaccine mandates for their teams and for their athletes but they're actually granting religious exemptions and medical exemptions so if they properly <coughs> grant those exemptions then it's a non-issue. So the other schools are all granting them. Western's the only one I know of that denied 100% of the requests. Okay, then let's move on to Biden and his, uh, whatever he's doing, it's kind of convoluted trying to get, and Rick, I'll give you a second in a second, okay? 
Um, it's kind of convoluted that he's coming down with an executive order, I think, to tell OSHA that they must enforce this regulation that's right. based based on there must be this threat. And I mean, right. who determines that threat level? But without there, exemptions, what yeah. what do you know about that? There are so many problems with this. This is so blatantly illegal. It harkens back to the eviction moratorium that they had in place. When President Biden said, yeah, I know it's unconstitutional. I really don't have the power to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway until a court tells me I can't. Uh, This is is the problem with those in authority right now and those in power. They don't care about what the law is. They're just going to do what they're going to do until a court tells them otherwise. There are so many issues here, Ed. To begin with, the police power for health and safety is not in the federal government. They have no police power. States have the police power and the right to enforce and enact whatever they want to do. It's state by state. So that's number one. That's a clear violation. Number two, they violated the Administrative Procedures Act. There's so many statutory violations here. They didn't put it through the normal comment and procedures for doing rules. There's all kinds of statutory infirmities with what they're doing. And then, of course, you have the the RIFRA, you know, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. And you have First Amendment issues now, constitutional issues. You also have the 14th Amendment, Obergefell argument that we've talked about before. Uh, there are so many problems here. It's almost laughable that they're trying to do this and enforce it. And I, I would say to any private business out there, I would not enforce it and make them come after you and you should fight back. I would hope. Rick, did you have something you wanted to say? Yeah, I was just going to ask a question concerning uh, the Supreme Court and vaccine mandates. Wasn't there a case early last century that said that communities could uh, enforce and direct vaccines? And where does that stand? Well, yeah, great question. And again, the answer to that is no. These people are lying to all everybody out there. The case they're talking about is the Jacobson case from 1904, 1905. And it was the state of Massachusetts had had, had a mandate for a vaccine for smallpox. And that's what the Supreme Court back over 115 years ago said that they could put in place. But they were also very clear in that decision that it did not impinge upon or infringe upon First Amendment issues. Remember, first the First Amendment did not apply to states until decades later after the Jacobson case was decided. So Cantwell was the U.S. Supreme Court decision in 1940 <coughs> that applied religious free exercise uh, issues and things like that to the states. For free speech, it was the... the um, Getwell case in 1925. So it was years and years later before you could even make those kinds of arguments. So Jacobson said nothing about it. And finally, I'll just say Gorsuch references this case in a recent opinion, uh, the name, the, which opinion is escaping me, but he says very clearly, Jacobson does not stand for the proposition that's, that government can tell everybody what to do with their vaccines and force vaccines. He says very clearly that's not true and that Jacobson does not stand for that and that that's something that this current court will take up when it's brought up to them. So this this is a total red herring to say, oh, the Supreme Court's already ruled. That is not true. Thank you for answering that question. Um, oh, wait a minute. Go ahead, Colonel. Yeah, my question is, uh, and I, I'm not an attorney, <clears throat> but I did stay at a Holiday Inn last night. Uh, <laughs> so... What good are exemptions? If you if you have uh, an exemption policy, that sort of takes away the whole idea of having inoculations. That would be number one. 
one mm-hmm. one exemption would invalidate all the other all the other efforts. But if uh, if the there's a constitutional issue with regard to inoculations, um, then it would seem to me logically that there would be that same objection to all the other mandates that the federal government required. I mean, if, well, if what, I might, what other mandates for what? What are you talking about? Well, okay, you can't get on an airplane without a mask. You can't okay, travel yeah. internationally without without uh, inoculations. I would agree with that. Come back to the United States once you're outside if you've not been, you know. Right, right. I agree with all of that. And that's why cases are winding their way through the courts right now. And you're going to be seeing decisions on all these issues coming down the pipe. Because the same arguments are being made. But again, remember, there is a difference between saying you got to wear a mask, which is an outer thing, you know, and we could, I, I think it's worthless and it's a waste. It doesn't do anything. But they're saying, you know, makes them feel good and you got to wear a mask. Well, that's different than saying I got to take a shot and I got to, you know, accept a medical treatment that I object to. There, in the level of, you know, problems here, they're two very, very different things. I didn't sleep in a Holiday Inn last night either, and I'm not a lawyer. In fact, I don't know what the heck I know. You got two strikes against right there. (laughs) But once upon a time, I read about Jacobson, and I thought the crux of that case was. You could actually buy your way out of the inoculation. Yeah. Yeah. The whole point of that case, if I recall properly, was that the gentleman could have spent like $5 or $25 to get out of this requirement, and he refused to pay the money. And that was actually the crux of the case. Not that they could, not that they could, um, not that they could. I'm wondering whose phone's buzzing and it's mine. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that they, and that seemed to me to be the point of that case. Is that true or not? Yeah, that was a big part of it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a type of exemption, right? <clears throat> yes, it was. Yeah. Only one you could pay your, buy your way out of. You could buy right. your way, right? <laughs> Rick, did you have a question or a comment? Yeah, I just wanted to say thanks for answering that because this this particular Supreme Court case, uh, some of my more progressive friends keep throwing that in my face yeah, and, uh, and I keep telling them it does not apply. But right. I, again, uh, like Ed, I'm not a lawyer and, uh, but I, I have, I have seen a holiday in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I needed it explained by somebody who could do much better explaining it. So now I can now pass them a link to this, this show when it's done. Because to me, I always saw it as, uh, as you said, a red herring, and yes. uh, it, it doesn't really apply. Yep. So thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. I have, I have one more question. It looks like we've taken up the whole segment with this, which is fine by me. I kind of thought it would go this way. I know, I don't know how you open this can of worms and not, you know, end up. I don't want to say devouring the whole can of worms, but dealing with every last worm in there. How's that? No, no, no. That's Rick. why I don't go out to dinner with you, Ed. <laughs> so, um, anyways, this Nuremberg Code that people keep referencing, does that have any standing whatsoever? No. How's Thank that you. for short answer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, beyond the persuasive value that this is something that was generated out of the Nuremberg Trials, it's something that I think can be persuasive, but it's not a statute, it's not a law, it's not a policy, it's not an administrative rule, it's a nothing in under our system of law. It's not in the Constitution, you know. So 
No, it's not anything that you could stand up in a court of law and say, judge, you have to follow the Nuremberg Code. No, he doesn't. You get laughed out of court. Right. Okay. Well, that answers that. Gentlemen, do you have any other questions for Dave along these lines? Shaking your head no. Well, we'll leave you to it. Thanks for having me on again, Ed. I hope that helped. Well, Dave, before you go, I want you to put in a plug for the Great Lakes Justice Center and Salt Salt Lake Global because it is... You did do this through uh, Great Lakes Justice Center, right? Right. Yeah, we do it as pro bono to all the kids, the athletes that are that we're representing, as well as we've we've helped now probably over a thousand people all around the state, in colleges, from faculty to students, etc., who are being who are facing these mandate issues, and we have been helping them with language of how to request a um, a, a religious exemption. So far, 100% of the people we've helped have received the exemption. We've not had a single one turned down that we've helped prepare their their request to the university, whichever university they're at. So you can go to our website, greatlakesjc.org. And if you wanna put in, a, if you have a, a, a religious exemption or a medical reason that you cannot take the vaccine, contact us. We have some language and ways to help you. We'd be happy to do it. And obviously we survive and we're able to do this because people donate and help us out. We're 501c3 and we all the attorneys, are seven of us right now, we're all pro bono volunteering our time. And uh, it, it's eating up a lot of our time right now while trying but to keep legal, regular practice going. But we appreciate there's it. Filing real, there's real filing quick. expenses. There's filing expenses. You hold yeah. on, Rick. There's filing expenses, right? People sure, can there's donate at that site. Costs. Rick, yeah, there's lots of expenses, but on the exemption, I've been told, I've been told that pretty much if you just state that I is go as far as saying I just believe this vaccine was manufactured by the devil, and that's the way my belief states that they have to accept that. Uh, <laughs> I I wouldn't be that brief about it. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but. Uh, you know, you need to say something. And so, like I say, come to our website. We can send you some sample language and some ways. You need to do it in your words. I mean, we don't want to put words in your mouth, but we give you some sample language that you can use as long as it comports with what you believe, then feel free to use it. That's what it's there for. That's why Great Lakes Justice Center is there, is to help people with these kinds of things. And it looks like we, you know, some other things coming down the pike on the mask mandate, like, Colonel, you were asking about. Um, it looks like we might be filing a suit on that pretty soon here. We also have another case involving bias training that some uh, lo- local government entities are requiring employees to take, which is pure socialism and Marxism to the max. And there's lots of things going on that we're we're involved with. We really appreciate anybody's help out there that can help us out. GreatLakesJC.org. There's a donate button there. You can help us out. Thanks. I'm really looking forward to discussion about the uh, indoctrination concerning racial justice and all this. Uh, there's the term for it. I can't remember what it is now. Not the CRT, but the, the other thing. Inclusion training. Yeah. Yeah. And inclusion Diversity and whatever. Equity and inclusion. Yeah. Exactly. Diversity, that's the equity, one. inclusion. That's and the it's EI like, wait a minute. To me, that's religious training mm-hmm. on the on the work site. And, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you about that soon and having you back. So. Thanks for joining us today, sir. All right. right. Well, thank you. Thanks, Dave. Have a good day. The rest of you stick around. Just because Dave's leaving doesn't mean you have to.
All right. <laughs> All right. So I suspect the music is going to start shortly. Derek, what do we got, like 15 seconds before music starts? It'll be starting in five seconds. Five seconds, four, three. How do you feel that kind of time on the radio? You know, two, one, and then the music starts, and then you're supposed to stop talking. But I don't always stop talking. When Folks, thanks for listening to the first half of Your American Heritage. Please come back for the second half after the music, after the commercials, and we'll be joined by, once again, Colonel Howard Benjamin and Rick Dietering, and we're going to talk about 911. Thank you. We were made to be courageous. We were made to lead the way. We could be the generation. Finally breaks the chains. We're made to be courageous. We were made to be courageous. We were warriors on the front lines, standing unafraid. Hey, folks, welcome back to the second half of Your American Heritage. And that was the theme from Courageous, the movie. And I'd like to point out that the remake or director's cut, the 10-year anniversary of the Courageous movie has just come out, uh, Courageous Legacy. And I'm looking forward to getting that because they say there's a slightly different ending, all kinds of notes. This is a Kendrick's Brothers movie. They don't make them much better than Kendrick's Brothers movies, and they've just come out with another movie. Um, oh, my goodness. Uh, Show Me the Father. And I'm looking forward to seeing that this weekend. Show Me the Father, Five Stories of Fatherhood. Um, if it's anything like Courageous, and I'm being told it's one of their better movies, um, I'm really going to get blown away. I suggest you watch them, too. So, um, we Can I have something about Courageous real quick? Just you know real the quick, meaning of the word, real quick, courageous. Yes, I know what it is, and I'm being real courageous right now by cutting you off. But, folks, if you haven't seen that movie, Courageous, you have to watch it for at least one scene in that whole movie where where the two officers have a ride along, their best friend. And he's sitting in the back of the car, and uh, they put somebody in there, and he try they try to convince him. He's a he. You got to see that scene. That's all I'm going to say. You have to see that well, scene. If the opening scene where the gentleman one of the central protagonists goes to the gas station and has his truck hijacked. It's just that I get, I get goosebumps thinking about yep. that. Yeah. And why it was important to get, to get the truck. Yeah, the the Vipers. <laughs> <laughs> so folks, we're back with Colonel Howard Benjamin, uh, re, uh, retired Marine Colonel, uh, and, um, historian, educator, a rencontre, uh, blogger, and um, we're going to talk about how we got to 911. I'm not asking for phone calls right now because I've got Rick here and he interrupts enough. And then uh, I really want to stay on this subject. But we're going to pursue this show on moment of clarity. Okay. So Colonel Howard's going to stay over and uh, uh, join us on moment of clarity also. So make sure you stay tuned because then we're going to we're going to discuss the issue even further. But Right now, um, as a as a military historian, uh, like Colonel Howard Benjamin, Howard, can I just call you Howard? Sure. Okay. So, uh, 
That sounded like I better call him Colonel Howard, right? Well, no, whatever so, you put on it, you can call me whatever you put on the check. Okay. You're the second person <laughs> asked me how much you're getting paid today. Yeah. <laughs> Your name's so, Return. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you 50% of the revenue income stream from this show. How's that? All right. Yeah, you'll be disappointed. Yeah. So, uh, let's see now. We talked about this, how we're going to approach this, and you came up with some uh, uh, notes on how we got into Afghanistan. So why don't you just tell us, teach us? Well, okay, so <laughs> this this topic really goes to the issue of American foreign policy, but uh, uh, our sojourn into Afghanistan actually began in 1979. Uh, this is when uh, Good Time Charlie, uh, a Texas congressman, Charlie Wilson, uh, decided uh, in, in furthering his opportunity for sexual debauchery, uh, decided to help a Texas socialite uh, wreak her personal vengeance on the Soviets by convincing Wilson uh, pillow talk, I suppose, to help fund uh, arms, munitions, and CIA, CIA advisors to the uh, Mujahideen. Uh, and as I said, that began in 1979, and it lasted for 10 years. And in this 10-year period, it cost the American taxpayer about a trillion dollars. Uh, more importantly, however, um, and this was, of course, the, the Soviet occupation of Afghanistan and and uh, we were supporting the uh, Mujahideen which which stands for the people who pursued jihad uh, and getting the uh, Soviets out of uh, Afghanistan uh, but at that time uh, and as a result of, of, of these activities the cost to the American taxpayer that they didn't know was being spent was that Charlie Wilson's war uh, inspired a member of the uh, Mujahideen, a fellow by the name of Osama bin Laden, to create another organization, which uh, began uh, in 1988, and they called it Al-Qaeda. Ultimately, Al-Qaeda would orchestrate the attacks on the United States on 9-11-2001, and it would use the weapons that the American taxpayer gave to the Mujahideen that they didn't use on the Soviets against American ground troops and aircraft. Uh, now, that's pretty much how Al-Qaeda came to being. Uh, and we're at the very forefront of that, of that novella. But I also think it's important to point out uh, if we're trying to understand how this thing unfolded, then we have to begin looking at the Saudis because they created this entire business of the Islamic Wars. And I'm speaking now, of course, of the Saudis who are our friends. Uh, the Saudis, whose king came to visit with George Bush and and held his hand like a like George Bush was a three-year-old toddler and walked around the garden together and they were smiling at each other. Uh, those Saudis, uh, those Saudis who, who funded 
Wahhabi terrorists who actually did conduct the attacks on 9-11 and the Wahhabis who uh, continue to fund worldwide terrorism through their surrogates uh, in Pakistan who not only use the Saudi money to, fu uh, to fund the Taliban, who are also Wahhabis, but also diverse money from the United States government, money that we give to Pakistan as part of our foreign aid package, and they divert that money uh, to the Taliban. Not only do you do that, they also divert U.S. foreign aid to their atomic weapons program. So now we're talking about our friends, the Saudis, and our other friends, the Pakistanis, all of whom are uh, Sunni Muslims, all of whom are ingratiated with the Saudi government to make everyone else life in the, in, in the Western world miserable. So uh, now we have to conclude that if, if all of this is true, then the only conclusion from that is that the American diplomats who put these policies together are geniuses on a scale of negative integers. Wow, in uh, below zero is what you're saying. Below zero. So in, in doing what little show prep I do, I was reading about the formation of the Taliban and like you were you were saying there, they are a product of, uh, of our CIA and the, the Pakistani government and the uh, ISI, their, their, uh, their CIA. Right. And I'm given that after the, uh, uh, the Afghans overthrew the Russians, that they had uh, warlord fiefdoms throughout the country, which is something they, they had, you know, they're, they're well experienced with warlord fiefdoms. In fact, if anybody's ever seen the man who would be king, you'd fully understand how that society worked. And so the Taliban came along and Taliban, uh, I believe means students or disciples or right. And they came along and they were more of a national organization for organizing the country. Uh, and they overcame these warlords, but that they didn't have aspirations outside of Afghanistan. But Al Qaeda, as you were talking about, which had formed during this battle, came back and they were tolerated by the Taliban. And so thus they they were given a place of operations. In fact, if I recall, Al-Qaeda means training base, doesn't it? Is that right? I, I believe I looked that up once and that Al-Qaeda, the word actually means training base. So like we think about those movies, we used to watch the Tom Clancy movies where uh, they're watching from a U-2 or a, a spy satellite and they were looking at the training camp that actually is what Al-Qaeda means, unless I'm totally wrong on that. So Al-Qaeda forms as this more jihadist, and by jihadist I mean external global uh, version of, of terror and uh, fomenting of Islamic uh, um, rule, caliphate, if you will. Did I get any of that right? Yeah, I think you're pretty right. Uh, now remember that uh, now that it's pretty complicated, and I'm no expert in uh, in Saudi history, but uh, and there are there are people listening probably who are that might want to call in and, and chime in. But the Saudis seven three four seven three four eight two two sixteen hundred. 
Go ahead. So the Saudis have had this uh, this unusual relationship with its people. Ninety uh, percent of the world's Muslims are Sunnis. The Saudis are Sunnis, um, but a, a large majority of their people lean towards the more radical aspect of it. The Saudis con are concerned about uh, maintaining the kingdom in the face of these uh, these leaning to the radical part of, of the religion. Uh, and so, you know, they adopted Wahhabism, which is, which I believe is, is it, I mean, it's at the very foundation of all of our problems in global terrorism. And it is so far reaching, it even includes the Muslim Brotherhood, which has ingratiated itself into American prisons. So people go to jail gang-related activities, for example, uh, who happen to be a certain persuasion, perhaps, and they come out of prison some number of years later as as uh, Islamic converts. Yeah. That's, that goes right back to this Wahhabi thing. I think there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 2,100 mosques in the United States, 90% of those per, uh, construct, uh, paid for by the Saudis, and uh, and they are all Wahhabi mosques. So. Interesting that we talk about you know the Chinese uh, cultural centers on our universities, and yet we have the same outreach from the Saudis into into communities with these these radicalized mosques. You were saying something about the Sauds and the king kingdom, and so it's it's interesting that if we look at like the Ottoman Empire was an empire and a kingdom. We look at like ISIS, ISIL, Daesh, whatever you want to call them, with the uh, caliphate. And then we have the Saudis and their kingdom, which was, if anybody's seen uh, uh, Lawrence of Arabia, you can see how that, that was formed out of a bunch of tribes into this kingdom. And so they're looking at a religious group that if it gets out of hand, could overthrow them to bring in uh, rule by, well, like we see in Iran, rule by clerics, right? If I recall the battle between Sunnis and Saw and Sunnis, Sunnis and Saws, Sunnis and Shiites was over who the re the uh, religious heir was right. to actually rule over Islam, uh, a cousin or a nephew, which uh, of Muhammad, and that that's how that separated out. Now I'm sure there's much more to it than that now, but is am I right? So they're trying to play this this fine game of keeping these people happy, but they're actually feeding the same snake that wants to bite them and kick them out eventually. Is that right? That's exactly right. And they're and they're really good at it too. I mean, you can just look around the world in the past uh, 30 years and see how successful they've been. Uh, and you know, we keep hearing from our government about what a what a bad guy uh, uh, what bad guys they are in Syria. I, I don't I can't think of a single instance where Syria has attacked any American or any American property or any uh, uh, part of the United States, and yet uh, Syria is the the bad guy. And I never really quite understood that. When you start looking a little bit deeper, what you find out is that Syrian civil war was started by the Wahhabists of Saudi uh, Saudi Arabia. They're the ones that started that civil war. And uh, it, it probably explains, too, if, 
if the official government policy of the United States is that the Saudis are our best friends uh, and there's a civil war, who are you going to support? Well, uh, obviously, we've supported the, the Saudi Wahhabists, the, uh, the rebels, uh, and I don't understand why. Uh, I, don't well, think, especially, I, don't think, I don't think Syria did anything to us. Well, especially with, I mean, granted, uh, you know, actually, I think the son's name is Bashir. I forget the dad's name. And I remember reading about the dad years ago when I was in high school. I read about Syria and, uh, you know, the dictatorial rule of, of the guy's dad. He kind of, the son, who's the dictator now, the ruler, kind of reminded me of uh, Michael uh, Corleone. You know, like he tried to get out of the business, but they sucked him back in when his dad died. He was a actually he trained as a, an eye doctor, was it? Yeah, in yeah, the I West, I think he's an ophthalmologist. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so you're training to be a dictator over a country, and you choose ophthalmology, and, and so it's a, kind of strikes me as odd. Oh, go ahead, Rick. Uh, I was going to wait until you finish your thought. I was not going to be rude and cut you off. Well, then, then let me finish that thought, okay? So actually this guy comes in and he's an eye doctor and he marries, I think he married a, an American and he's got this very civil government. Yeah, he's a dictator over over a nation that really wouldn't fare. Yeah, I would consider him a benevolent dictator and he's got freedom of religion. Christianity prospers there. So, you know, and yet we attack him. Go ahead, Rick. I was actually going to hit on that very point is well, before, before the, the civil war, over there. Um, you know I'm into archaeology and I'd go to Israel quite often and get involved with some of the digs over there. And we could go to Syria, we could go to Damascus, we could check out some of the, the uh, traditional sites that Christians would go check out around Damascus. And we were always welcomed and we never feared. There was no fear for our life when we would go to Syria. Now I can't even go to a dig that's even close to the Syrian border because of of the hostility right now. Uh, that the Syria today is not the Syria that uh, it could be, and it used to be very friendly to people coming in, and everything. that's gone. It's totally gone. So I think I think that you know the bottom line to this is that it's America's diplomatic incompetence that has. It has taken something that wasn't all that great to begin with, but made it somehow, amazingly, 10,000 times worse. Right. Uh, and so I am very distrustful of, of the Saudis. I think I, think I know a, a snake when I see one. But I'm also extremely disappointed that, that no one at, inside the, the Beltway in, in Washington, D.C. seems to be aware of this. That there, My feeling is that the United States government is being played for the fools that they are. So we're yeah. backing we're backing Syrian rebels who are really funded, uh, armed, and and led by Saudi Wahhabists against against a, a regime that really hasn't done any harm to the United States. It just really irritates me that uh, that that our diplomatic corps is so incredibly incompetent. Oh, well, I mean, when you look at what just happened in, in uh, Afghanistan when we left, the whole thing's still botched. They refused to give, you know, permission to airplanes to leave with American citizens on board. Uh, just totally, what's the guy's name, Blinken? Totally screwed up in Alaska when he's meeting with the Chinese 
They just totally shamed him and just took him to school. And, you know, this is the same crowd that, you know, is more interested in having rainbow flags fly on our embassies and teaching uh, Islamic cultures how to have diversity and inclusion and uh, how to, you know, have sex uh, and gender studies when they, you know, all that does is insult them. Is, is, is that the State Department you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I, there's a reason why they call it Foggy Bottom. I'm sure, I'm sure there's a reason for that. Um, but, you know, but, you know, when you, President of the United States has this, uh, military advisors and, and, uh, he has, he has it in his mind. He wants to do something. So he turns to his military and he says, develop a plan. All right. So here's the plan. Well, at the begin at the very top of that plan are your objectives. What are your objectives? How do you know when the war is over? And the answer to that question is, well, your objectives have been met. All right. So let's, let's go to war. We're just going to go right into Afghanistan and we're going to show those guys. Unfortunately, the objectives changed three times by uh, President Bush. First, it was going to go in there and we're going to uh, whack those guys because they perpetrated an attack against the United States. Three different Laudable. Uh, but then it changed from that to, uh, oh, geez, maybe what we need to do is build a new country. Well, they never had a country to begin with, so I don't know how you, you know, rebuild something that never existed. And 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 look, like you said a little while ago, you can go back in history, uh, twenty three hundred years, and everyone, every foreign uh, entity that went to Afghanistan went home with their hat in their hand, beginning with Alexander the Great. Now, when do we begin learning lessons? So the the, the British went there went home with their hat in their hand. Soviets went there, they went home with their hats in their hand. So so then who was the genius to come up and say, I know what, let's go to Afghanistan. What a moron. Well, it's the same same people that say, oh, communism would work, it's just never been done right. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, so, so George Bush, uh, not the brightest bulb in the, in the presidential box, Changes the objectives uh, three times uh, in Afghanistan. Now, how do you fight a war like that? Uh, Everybody, I've, I've had a number of people telling me the big army had a had a say in that. That they they were looking for a place to to play, to to spend money and to play. And the special operators basically, if, if the special operators had been left alone to do what they need to do and then get out of Afghanistan, we wouldn't be having this conversation. You know, there could be an argument for that, um, and I'll, I'll just divert the conversation just a little bit off to the side and, and say, if you left it to the operators who know war, first of all, anybody who knows war doesn't like it, doesn't want to have to go do it again. Uh, but but then you start promoting people into the, the general and the admiral category, and you look mm. at their chest, there's not a single combat award on ribbon that they've been awarded, not a single combat decoration. And these are the people, the, the little, uh, the sycophants who will do whatever it takes to get promoted. Yeah. And on that note, we have, just to be clear, we have about 30 seconds left before the music starts. The music runs about a minute 
So we won't let it quite dictate to us. But I just want to inform everybody before we get chased off by Derek into the next show. Join us. We're going to wrap this over to Moment of Clarity with Pastor Rick Dietering. And then it'll be my turn to interrupt him instead of his turn to interrupt me. So, folks, thanks. If you don't stay for Moment of Clarity, see you next week. But I highly recommend you stay for the next show. Thank you.